All right, so I just hit start recording. Welcome to Sanctimonious. It's a podcast where two zealous Keyforge players discuss new Keyforge topic every week. Uh, these topics will range from drilling down into a specific game mechanic to exploring how the game and community can grow and everything in between. So my name is Jake Friedman and I'm here uh, joined by my co-host Dan. Dan, how are you doing? Good, thanks Jake. This is Dan Johnson, also at Dan is someone everywhere in the social places. So uh, hey, how's it going, man? I'm doing really well. Super excited and a little bit nervous to record <laughs> this first podcast. Uh, so this is a real live experiment, and we'll just see how it goes. Zero note, zero nerves. Old hat here. Let's go. Cool. Well, uh, I guess with that in mind, do you want to maybe spend a couple seconds sort of introducing yourself and your background in gaming? Sure, definitely. All right. So my name is Dan. Uh, yeah, I played video games as a young kid, played a lot of video games, a lot of board games. Uh, into college, I kind of got into more complex board games, some Magic the Gathering. That went into some Netrunner and some Hearthstone. So I've been playing card games for probably about 10 years. Yeah, probably about that long. I'm old. Um, and then I played a bunch of miniatures games too back in the day. So some 40K and then Malifaux. And I actually did a Malifaux podcast for about two years. So if any of my former Malifaux podcast listeners are in on this. What's up, guys? I found a game that I don't have to paint anymore. I'm so happy. <laughs> That's awesome. Cool. Um, well, thanks so much. Uh, I guess I can introduce myself as well. Uh, so I, you may have come across my Keyforge content before uh, in putting out the Keyforge tips articles. So far, I have written three articles trying to give people sort of a idea of my thought process as I was learning the game to hopefully help new players sort of shortcut around making the same mistakes I had to first. Uh, so I wrote an article about how to effectively mulligan, how to discard, and then sort of an article about the state of the metagame after the first couple of vault tours. Uh, before getting into Keyforge, I was a big Magic the Gathering player I sort of grew up in a comic book store back home in Lawrence, Kansas. Uh, so I played, you know, started with the Pokemon card trading game, then moved into Yu-Gi-Oh! And eventually really found a home in the Magic the Gathering community where I would, you know, do the whole grinding, traveling to Pro Tour qualifiers, uh, and really stuck with that up until I started college and then just did not have the time or resources to sort of keep up with the game anymore. Cool. Yeah, I uh, played some GPs back in the day. I don't. I never did the Pro Tour qualifying. I didn't. I started too late in life. I was uh, settling down, getting into family mode about the time I started getting super competitive. So, fortunately, missed the PTQs and all that stuff. But did did get to play a couple of Grand Prix back in the day. Had a pretty good yeah, time. That's that's unfortunately or fortunately, I guess, depending on who you <laughs> yeah, ask. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's like, you know, called grinding for a reason. Cause right. You really have to put in long hours and especially trying to play in the Midwest where I'm from. You know, there's a lot of like window time driving from event to event with a cart full of smelly guys. 
Yeah, but that just kind of gives everybody else out here that's listening to this podcast kind of the mindset we're both coming from. We're both coming from kind of a competitive, focused edge, but we're both pretty chill, casual guys too, so we don't mind playing a casual game. But at the same time, I don't know about Jake, but I like to play to win. I play to win. I enjoy winning, but, you know, gracious and defeat and learn from it. Move on. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a great point. I think even though we're coming from a competitive angle uh, and sort of that corner of the game, like it's really important to me and I know Dan as well to make sure this podcast is accessible to everybody. I mean, this game as of now is still super small and growing. So hopefully this can be sort of a space to welcome new people into Keyforge and help to create the enthusiasm with them that we've sort of both found with this game. Indeed. And we apologize for the rambling here. We just kind of wanted to do a little introduction on ourselves. We promise in the future there'll be less ramble and more just, you know, hard-hitting content, which is what everybody actually wants. Sure. So let's get into sort of our first segment, uh, which is going to be called Inspiration. There might be a sort of a theme uh, coming through here. So, you know, really astute listeners will maybe be able to pick up on these subtle references. (laughs) Subtle references. Very subtle. (laughs) So anyway, the purpose of this sort of segment is just to say something that's jumped out at you, something you learned, uh, just a crazy interaction or story from sort of playing Keyforge throughout the week. Um, So do you want to jump in first? Yeah, I've got two games that kind of stick out. So I played in a sealed event about a week and a half ago and pulled open... A pretty solid deck. It wasn't too bad. It was pretty good. It was uh, Logos Brobnar Shadows. And uh, yeah, had a really good first game going, playing against the organizer of the event, going back and forth, back and forth, and all of a sudden he drops Maverick Hysteria in Untamed with a couple of Hunting Witches out. Brutal. But man, that I mean, that's that's the kind of stuff that makes this game so fun. Like, there's no way I could have known that was coming. Like, it was a back and forth game, and that kind of blew it open for him. Eventually, lost that game, and then lost the next round due to just the other guy got a head on board. But uh, yeah, Maverick cards are fun. You never know. Like, even with the card knowledge that I have, like, I mean, that was not something I could foresee. Like, the Maverick cards are kind of cool in that way that they can kind of come out of left field and surprise you. Um, and then one other inspired story I had today, I was actually playing a game on the Crucible with my buddy, and we were racing towards that first key. Both of our decks have bait and switch. He unfortunately gets to his first key first. I'm at eight. I pretty much tell him, like, crap, if you have the bait and switch here, probably game over. He does have the bait and switch. He goes up 5-4, goes up 2-0 with a Chota turn the next turn. And, like... You know, so it's, it's looking bleak. It's looking super dire. I mean, pretty much after the bait and switch, I was like, well, I'm cooked. I managed to actually scrap and claw my way back to a 3-2 victory. Um, it was just a testament. Like, bait and switch is really good. And my deck had bait and switch. Bait and switch actually saved me one turn where I was able to bait and switch him back underneath and then neurosiphon for the closeout. So, like, both of our decks are really good. They're really strong, powerful decks. Like, that's the kind of decks that we like to jam against each other when we play. So... Yeah, even though it feels impossible sometimes. Like, I mean, your opponent gets the perfect situation. I mean, I was at 8 Amber, then all of a sudden I'm at 4 and he's at 5, and it's looking super bleak. Um, just stick with it. Like, you, if you know yeah. your deck, if you know that you have some outs, like I knew I had bait and switch. Um, I mean, drawing into the Neurosiphon was fortunate, and sometimes you have to get fortunate, but it's all about just kind of sticking with it, playing to your outs, 
um, cycling to those cards that you know will be impactful. So like um, last last little nugget on this game, I played a turn. I think there's only like two creatures at, on the board, and I had two three uh, three fates. Gateway to Dis, and then the one that does four damage to all creatures if they forge last turn. I had all of the blow up the world effects in my hand, and I just had to I fire think that's them. Tendrils, right? Tendrils yeah, tendrils of pain. There you go. Yep. That's right. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So I tendrils first and just killed everything. Double three faded, discarded uh, the um, gateway to dis. I think I had a stealer of souls I played out. And man, that felt super bad, but that allowed me to draw into the Neurosiphon and everything and actually close the game out. If I had like held on to any of those cards, maybe I don't draw the Neurosiphon. It was one of the last two cards I drew, so it was it was the right play, if not the unfortunate play. So to be mindful that maybe some listeners aren't quite as familiar with the cards, which one is Neurosiphon again? Neurosiphon is a Logos card that gives you an amber when you play it, and then if you are still underneath your opponent, so it counts your it gives you the amber first then it checks your amber totals if you are less than your opponent it'll steal one from your opponent and you get to draw a card so it's it's a nice it's a nice card but the one thing you do have to keep in mind is the amber that you get from that card adds to your amber total before you check to steal so if you're at three and they're at four and you play it you're not going to get the steal and the draw card because you're going to be four four when the card checks but yeah so that was my inspiration I was going to briefly touch on my inspiration, which is that uh, here in St. Louis, where I'm located, uh, we've been playing, I've been participating in an adaptive league. And the way this league works is uh, you're paired up against one person each week and sort of you coordinate with them to find time, whether in person or on the crucible, to play a game of adaptive. And the way that format works is you play your first game with the deck that you've brought then you switch decks with your opponent. And then if it goes to a third game, uh, which would mean that the same deck won both times, you take turns bidding chains on the deck that won both matches. So it's just this really awesome system where you can, it feels wide open as opposed to the, the more kind of competitive Archon events where it feels like you really need to have a super strong deck. In this, you can bring anything. So I've actually been playing a deck called Yogg the Titleless, uh, which I can link in the show notes. But it's just this crazy, strange deck that has got, I think it's got nine disc creatures. It's got three uh, Ixley Dominators, the nine power, one armor, uh, taunt Martian creature, which is just awesome because it can stick next to, you know, the Ember Imps and all these annoying discards that your opponent really wants to get rid of to kind of ruin their day but the thing that's so strange about this deck is there's only four amber pips on cards in the entire deck <laughs> wow that's, uh, that's so it low. just makes no amber at all um so the way that most of my games have been going is you play is i lose the first game switch with my opponent lose the second or win the second game <laughs> and then we start and then we start bidding for the right to not use Diog the title is. <laughs> so you brought the bad deck intentionally wanting yeah. to lose with it. Yeah, and it's really, I, I think it's really interesting. <laughs> 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 because, so the way it works in Adaptive is if you're the owner of the deck that won both, you essentially have the second bid. You have to make a bid of zero on that deck, meaning 
uh, sort of the initiative is in my court. Um, and I feel since I played quite a bit of Keyforge that I'm pretty strong at evaluating uh, decks at this point, especially after seeing the decks interact twice. So what I've been trying to do is find sort of that sweet spot of chains where I'm still confident I could beat the deck, but if they bid higher, like I'm happy to have them, you know, deal with those chains. Right. So on, it feels on the, like on the good deck that's not yours. <laughs> right. On the good, yeah. So I think in the in the game I played last week, I was playing against David. He's this awesome guy who runs a ton of events out here, and uh, it went exactly like that. So I had the first bid, and I think I bid eight chains. And he kind of gave me like a look, like, you know, you bastard, <laughs> basically. <laughs> and then, so he, he decides, I guess, to one-up me, and he goes up to 10. Uh, and I was, you know, like, okay, fine, it's yours. And so we proceed to play the game, and he just can't kind of get out from under the burden of the chains. He's got gateway to disc, which is adding three more chains. So I think he essentially played with four cards in his hand the entirety of the game <laughs> and where that deck absolutely just crushed when it had you know an even playing field all of a sudden it's having a really hard time finding answers to you know just all the creatures uh you know the gateways are adding more chains there's hysterias in there but you know they're just not coming up as quickly or as frequently so he just ultimately he wasn't able to deal with the board at all so you know, it was really cool. It's fun being able to play, you know, these weird, unique decks in a, in a competitive setting. Um, so I did end up winning that match, and, and it felt uh, pretty good getting the W with the old four amber deck. <laughs> At a kid. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah, no, look look in the future. Both me and Jake are doing Twitch streams. We do stream some Keyforge games, and we're planning in the future to probably do some like adaptive matches against each other to kind of showcase the format, since it seems to be the format of choice from FFG right now as the final table match. As it's, I yeah. think it's been two, two out of the four, three out of the four. I know the yeah, first I one, Eind three, yeah. Eindhoven, was uh, just straight three games with the same decks. But I think the other three have been adaptive for the last last match. Yeah. And I think we're now in week four of six of the league I'm playing in. But once that wraps up, I really want to take some time to kind of put my thoughts down. And maybe we could even spend a whole podcast topic on that. Because it's just so fun. And if you haven't yet tried playing like some of these bidding formats like adaptive i highly recommend you try it out with some buddies or or get a league going in your city yeah and it's definitely one of those things like bidding chains is not something a lot of people do like it was kind of recommended at the beginning like oh if your deck's better than somebody else's deck you can self-chain yourself but i don't know anybody that's really self-chaining i not any but not any right. of the no, that i'm playing against we're not self-chaining ourselves like we're just playing the games out um yeah, yeah. so no it's definitely a skill that is going to be needed for the future of the game probably definitely and it took me a long time to try it out too because it just seems kind of like an extra hassle uh, a lot of people point out like playing three games is takes a long time uh but you know i was just i only got into it because of the league that popped up and it's just more an opportunity to play more keyforge but i was really so glad to do that now i just want to play more adaptive because it's just so skill intensive and fun and you can and it really opens up the playing field Perfect. All right. All right. Well, should we continue on to our main topic of the day? Yes, I'm feeling inspired. Let's do this. 
Okay, so uh, each of these episodes, we're going to try and have a main topic uh, where we can sort of share our thoughts on. Uh, and this week's topic is, as a way to sort of kick off the very beginning of this podcast, we thought it would be fitting to just talk about the best things about Keyforge. Uh, so we spent some time and we ultimately came up with a list of the top seven things that we love about the game. Uh, so that's going to be the topic of discussion. Um, and if it sounds good to you, Dan, why don't you kick us, or I'll kick us off. Yep, you got uh, number one. Number seven. Yeah. So this is number seven. And I don't have too much to say about this, but number seven is unique deck names and card art. Um, well, that doesn't necessarily add anything to the actual playing of the game itself. I think it's just like, something that's so unique about Keyforge and it gives you just like a little bit of character and really adds like the uniqueness and ownership of the deck or of the of your deck excuse me <laughs> so for example i have a a deck that's called Trageroid the meaningless cavern rebel and you know it's not a great deck uh i mean it's 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 okay it's got some fun cards in it i played a little bit online but the thing I really like most about that deck is just the name, just because you know it suggests some sort of backstory that I'm, you know, you're just naturally inclined to fill in. Like I just want to know who this guy is, what happened with right. his rebellion, the, and why was it so short lived? Yeah. No, I do enjoy a good deck name. Good deck names are great. I'm not. I am a self-prescribed non-art viewer. Like I know what the card looks like, but I haven't really looked too too closely at the art i'm more i'm more of a rules and interactions guy all of my past friends and opponents can attest i can tell you what the card is from across the table but if you tell me there's some like small butterfly in the picture i would have no idea for sure yeah i'm I'm totally with you on that and i guess also to be clear um one thing that i think is awesome is like the card backs right like where you get those like the archon pictures and they're just like a little bit different, a little little bit of extra uniqueness that I think does add something. All right. So number six is me. That'll be community. So the community for this game so far has been amazing. Like I've played, like I said, I've played a lot of different games and usually the communities are really good for games, especially once you find that like play group or that store that you enjoy playing at. The community is pretty solid. Um, so far I got to actually had the, chance to play at the seattle vault tour and that was like my first time kind of going to a big event in quite a while because family mode has hit pretty hard um but yeah it was just great being in a room like i went the day before the main event and there was like 50 people like playing in different side events pods and everything and just kind of being in a room full of people that love the same game that you love and that you can just sit down and be like hey man you want to play a game and they're like yeah um so i had a really positive experience in seattle and even during the main event like it was just a really good time. Everybody was super chill. We were having a good time playing games. I don't, I didn't hear of any issues with Seattle. Like everybody, everybody was getting along. It was about 180 people in the main event, and yeah, it was just a really well-run event. And everybody, everybody I played, I really enjoyed the game that I had with them, win or lose. That's awesome. Yeah, it's a. I think it's absolutely a huge strength of game that right now the community seems to be, you know really open-minded inclusive and like striving to be welcoming even online which is certainly not something i've always experienced (laughs) right um so i don't know if the game continues to grow 
if, if it'll you know lose that sort of charm but you know i think just want to really encourage everyone to you know keep welcoming people like maintain the sort of great identity and community that we have so far indeed let's, um, let's keep it positive folks yeah moving right along here to number five now we're getting to something a little bit more crunchy which is the strategic choices and styles available to you in Keyforge. Yes. What I, so I think this could be interpreted a couple of ways. Um, but one thing that I have really value about this game is it seems to have elements of strategy that are more prevalent uh, than I've experienced in other game, other collectible card games, whether that's uh, Magic or Keyforge, or sorry, Magic or Hearthstone. Uh, where the games are almost like purely down to tactical decisions. I find in Keyforge, you know, going into the game, what you're sort of hoping to accomplish. Like, are you trying to play your deck super efficiently to dig to cards that you know will be really impactful? Are you trying to make the most out of, you know, the cards that you get? Are you going into the game with a mindset to really leverage your board position and use them whenever uh, the opportunity arrives? Um, you know, those decisions really make a huge impact on the outcome of the game. And it could be something that happens early on, choosing to play one house instead of another, and that sort of sets you back on efficiency of cycling your deck, or or maybe it gives you a big advantage because it forces your opponent to sort of deal with what you're having on the board. Uh, I think those sort of threads carry out carry on throughout the game and really rewards like strategic decision-making in an interesting and awesome way. I'm not, I'm going to try not to get ahead of ourselves here with a couple of these, but uh, yeah, no, just, just the complex board states and having to evaluate what the best move is for a turn is so satisfying in this game. Um, And then even just like trying different lines. So maybe you did this line the last time, in a sort of similar situation because you're never probably going to see the same situation again. And man, I'm just tab dancing all over these next few. <laughs> so maybe, <laughs> maybe we should just move well, to the okay. next one. Well, I mean, before we jump off this, cause I think, I think it is a really important thing and it's like a nuanced thing. Cause it's, so it's hard to really put into words. Um, but I think as you get better at the game, you know, you may start to see yourself like winning more without really understanding why that's happening. And I think yes. it becomes like, I think it's because you're understanding the strategy of it. Where in another game, if that's more tactical, it's like, okay, well, I learned that I need to like use this card in this situation. And that's less true in Keyforge. So I think uh, it, it it's like a very subtle complexity, but it's like very real and super rewarding once you start being able to wrap your head around it. So, I mean, that's something I absolutely love about the game. Yes, very much so. And we'll cover that a little bit further, but we'll go to number four, and that'll be a mine. So playing a deck multiple times unlocks new lines of play for the deck or just figuring out the proper way to pilot a deck. We've all opened that deck where we look at it and we're just like, what is this thing trying to do? And you play it a couple times, you play it a couple times, you lose, you get your face smashed in. Then all of a sudden it just clicks. Like you see the couple cards that you need to play too. Like, um, I mean, I've, I like playing a lot of Logos decks and I've got a deck that has double full moon, three Niffle apes and double troop call. 
and it's got archiving in both shadows and logos. So what you're really trying to do is get to about two keys and archive all those um, full moons and uh, troop calls to set up for a really explosive late game, just Niffle Ape extravaganza. And like, it was so satisfying. Like I played the deck four times to like a two and two record. And I was like, eh, this deck is okay. Then all of a sudden it just clicked. Like I was archiving the wrong cards. Like once I started archiving those cards for that combo, all of a sudden the deck is just like unstoppable because you just burst out so hard late in the game that they can't really keep you down. But yeah, so like lines of play like that. Otherwise I have other decks. I've got another deck I've piloted over six, I think I have 62 games with it now. And you play a deck that many times and all of a sudden like this racing deck that you think you have, all of a sudden one game is just a board control deck because you hit your Brobnar house early and you get a big Brobnar board in a racing deck and just kind of fight and reap your way to victory. And it just kind of surprises you. And it's kind of satisfying just seeing the different ways a deck can play out as you pl- pilot it more. Yeah, I think those are awesome examples. Um, and one thing I've found, so I try and play all all the decks I get at least a few times each uh, online on the Crucible. And it's pretty common that I'll end up losing the first two or three games and then just start winning, you know? Like, win, like I'll lose four and then win the next six in a row or something like that, just as you figure out exactly what you're saying, you know, what you need to do to be successful with that deck. And it very much may differ from your general game plan with your well-performing decks. Right. Yep. And the lower, the lower the scores, the more challenging it sometimes is, but the more satisfying those wins can be once you, once you kind of unlock that deck's hidden little secrets. Yeah. All right. Going on to number three. Uh, this is the variety that exists in the game. Uh, I think we've already touched on this quite a bit, but there are just so many interactions that you see in Keyforge uh, that every game is different. You know, if me and Dan were to sit down and play a game right now, you know, it's much more likely than not that, you know, we'd both be encountering new problems for the deck that we've never seen before, even if we're both playing decks familiar to us against decks that we've played against before. Um, And I think that is definitely one of the strengths of the game. Just the fact that it's a unique deck game, um, it means that there's no deck building. There's no, there's a meta as for houses and cards you're looking for, but there's not a meta for like, these are the 12 decks you're going to face every single time you play, or these are the four best decks that everybody's building and you're just playing over and over again, which is really, really satisfying. And then the other thing is there's no cards in a set that just aren't used. We've all played Magic and Hearthstone and those kinds of games where there's a few cards that come out in a set that just never see play. Like you don't even use them in, you know, limited formats. Like it's just a completely dead card that never gets its time on the table. Whereas with Keyforge and the deck being constructed for you and you having no choice in the matter, you're having to use some cards that maybe not the most optimal, but all of a sudden the fact that you have to play them, sometimes you can find that corner case where they're really good. And it's just kind of really cool to see those cards kind of get a chance to shine and just seeing the entire set get, getting to shine rather than just a limited pool of cards. Absolutely. And I think that it was also one of the sort of the whole premises uh, behind designing the game. I think Richard Garfield was interviewed about it and said like that was one of the things that he was frustrated with about magic is they spend all these time designing cards and then only 10% of them ever see play at any kind of real competitive level. 
beyond, you know, kitchen table casual games. And, you know, so this format was, you know, specifically made, this game was specifically made to have variety in decks. And I think it accomplishes that. Uh, and the other point I wanted to make about variety is the variety of formats. So, you know, thus far, I've played in Sealed, Archon, Reversal, Adaptive, and I even played in a team tournament. Uh, so it's just so cool. Oh, and I've also played, uh, you know, multiplayer games. So it's just awesome that, you know, these decks can be used in not just are the decks unique, but like the way you can actually pit them against each other are unique as well. And, you know, many of those formats totally change how you have to play and think about, you know, what your opponent is trying to do. Indeed. All right. So, yeah, Variety. Um, and our number two, and maybe my number one, but I'll leave it at number two, uh, easy to learn, hard to master. Um, I've got a bunch of friends that are, like, not super serious gamers, but I'm able to sit down with them. We'll play, like, one game with our uh, hands exposed on the table, and I'll just kind of walk them through the different things. And then by game two or three, like, we're flying right through games. They've picked it up super easy to learn the house mechanic is so great for just yeah if you declare this house these are the cards you can use you don't have to worry about costs or anything like that um, so it's super easy to pick up and play um, 20 dollars gets you two decks and you're playing right out of the gate super cool um, but the hard to master is where i mean we've all seen it if you're listening to this podcast you're hoping to get past that point of that beginner level status where like you think you know what you're doing, but at the same time you're not winning and you're just not sure why. Like just figuring out when you need to be playing cards, when you need to be using cards on board, what cards you really need to worry about in your opponent's list. Just there's so much complexity. And again, with like the variety of decks, like you're not facing, you can't just learn the same like three to four decks and know exactly what you're going up against. Every every game's gonna be different with what you're going up against. So like a full card knowledge is really really necessary for this game to really compete at the high levels for me like the accessibility of keyforge was one of the biggest selling points out of the gate having played so much magic and tried and failed to introduce magic to people you know just the whole concept of you know buy a deck and you're ready to play on a more or less equal playing field uh than somebody who has spent you know tons and tons of money in hours uh, especially if you're playing a format like adaptive and it like really truly is an equal playing field yeah um you know it's okay great you like this here you can just have this deck and now you're ready to play or you know 10 bucks as opposed to magic or like okay cool <laughs> now you kind of know some of the concepts go out and spend 400 dollars and come back if you want to have any chance right. of competing with anybody yeah so. Yep. Yep. Red burn deck only gets you so far, and that still is uh probably like what a two hundred dollar deck yeah. just to get the red burn. Yeah. And I think like, I, you know, I'm that's something I'm extra passionate about, and this goes into the next point, so it's sort of a nice segue. But like, I was always a competitive Magic player, but I was like fourteen years old. You know, my income <laughs> was like super limited, and I really felt like I was playing the game at a high level, but just from pure economics, like the choice of decks I could use was limited. And so yeah, I played a lot of red burn decks across formats. Um, and it was just never really an option for me to play that, you know, $800 control deck, <laughs> even if I wanted to. Yep. Um, Those were the decks I was piloting. Right. 
So that segues perfectly into my top point, uh, which is that Keyforge has the potential to be like the first truly equitable collectible card game. And by that, I mean, you know, anyone who's interested in this game, uh, passionate about it, wants to learn, can play um, and compete with anybody. And I think the reason I say potential is because so far, most of the uh, vault tours or premier play events have been Archon, which I think does in some ways limit people's ability to play. I think, I, I think Dan, would you agree that right now, if you want to compete at an Archon event, you're going to be at an advantage if you're willing to spend a couple hundred dollars or a hundred dollars well, on a good deck? I mean, it depends on the Archon event. If we're talking like a vault tour, yeah, you probably, if you really right. are concerned about day twoing and having a chance to win, you probably are shelling out a couple hundred dollars for a really good deck, depending on the format of the vault tour event. Like that's kind of the going rate for some of those top decks. Now, if we're talking like a local chainbound Archon event, I mean, I think you can find a solid deck on the secondary market for like the twenty to forty dollar range that you can compete well with at a local Archon. Um, so it's not really that bad. Like, I mean, again, going back to the Magic comparison, right. like a two hundred dollar deck is still what you would need to spend to just compete at the local level. <laughs> And for a local level, I mean, you could literally buy four decks the night you show up and just pick one of them, and it'll probably do do all right at the event. Like, you're not, you're not probably going to have the best deck in the room, but you're still going to be able to compete, because I, I feel like the chain-bound level events are pretty solid for allowing a variety of decks to play and be competitive. Yeah, I agree. And I think even... Keyforge at its you know worst is still much more equitable, much more uh, evenly distributed than something like Magic, um, just because of like the unique deck model. Maybe that'll change as we, as we have more like data points and and a better understanding of what decks really are, um, you know that top tier. But this is probably another topic that we could spend a whole episode, yeah, uh, we, arguing about. Right? <laughs> no, and it's still. I mean, this is this is the first set, so I mean, it's not. It's probably not advantageous to really get into that yet. And unfortunately, the coverage on the big events hasn't been super optimal yet. So we haven't really gotten to see the top decks. I mean, we can kind of, we've, they've got the finals streamed, but it would be nice to be watching more of the day two matches and just seeing some of the deck lists and which, which decks truly are powering people to day two finishes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, maybe we can kind of end, leave it on this. So I think. Right now, Keyforge is in a great place. If you want to play, it's accessible. You can compete at the local level for a very low cost of entry. Um, but it also has the potential, I think, if we as a community decide to incorporate more sort of adaptive and bidding style of formats uh, to truly be an even playing field where the most skilled player, players will rise to the top. Uh, rather than the most skilled players who have the means to compete at the top of fighting, you know, fighting which you against, see in every other yeah, game. Always, always a tough battle against the whales that are good players and have the means to buy all the best cards or and or decks. Yeah, people disagree, right? People disagree because I mean, a lot of people spend a lot of money on decks and want you know to be able to use those. Uh, so I mean, there 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 will be pushback to sort of that concept, but I think. By and large, 
the ability for more people to play at a top competitive level can only mean good things for the game. And it's something that just continues to make me excited about playing Keyforge and introducing it to new people and sort of helping to grow my local community. Awesome. So yeah, that was our seven things, kind of broad topics. Uh, if we missed any that you think that we completely biffed on, please let us know. We'll have our different social media outlets. We're also on the Discord Keyforge, Lo- Keyforge Lounge. But yeah, let's uh, let's hit our final topic of the day. Our last segment, one stood against many. This week, Jake is taking on what topic? So this week, I wanted to talk about uh, a specific card, which is Key Charge. And I want to make the case that Despite and contrary to popular opinion, uh, Key Charge is actually not a great card. And if you're not familiar, uh, Key Charge is an untamed card that says pay one amber or lose one amber, you may forge a key at current cost. Yep. I've seen polls online that have people that have listed this as you know the best uh, untamed card or one of the top 10 cards in the game. Uh, It's a card that's gotten a ton of sort of press and exposure as being sort of an uh, essential part of the one, or not an essential part, but a prominent piece of many of the one-turn kill decks, um, the library access and dependency decks that have sort of caused a stir online. Um, But generally, I think if people see uh, key for, or see key charge in a deck list, they're likely to evaluate consider that deck to be a little bit better than ones without it. And I want to make the case that uh, it's not. (laughs) And in fact, when I look at (laughs) Untamed lists, uh, Key Charge isn't a card I'm excited to see. And in fact, I would much rather it be something else with the one exception being if it's like a one turn kill list, in which case, sure. Like nobody's going to throw that out when you got the library access and the seed phase shift (laughs) key charge combo. Right. It's a, it's fun. Fun for you. Yeah, fun for everybody. I think some <laughs> people might disagree with that as well. Actually. Well, it's fun for the person doing it. Um, for sure, yeah. Yeah, I'll build on your case a little bit. So key charge, I mean, you're paying seven. I know it's a steel-heavy meta. Like, everybody's like, well, but it just automatically gets you um, the key. Like, you're guaranteed to get that key. For seven amber, it doesn't seem like too bad of a deal when there's a lot of steel and capture running around, and sometimes it's just tough uh, making keys. However, it is an action card. Um, I I would make the case like I'd rather see Choda. Like my my case is built around Choda being far superior to Key Charge. Um, Choda Hazri is also an untamed card. It's a three power creature with the same effect. You lose one amber, then you can forge a key at current cost. The benefits Choda has over Key Charge is a it leaves behind a body, so you might get future use out of it. It's not just a one turn hit the discard pile. Uh, it can be returned by many cards in both Untamed and other houses. So Regrowth will bring it back. Or like Regrowthing a Chota for a key is such a great feeling. Um, Nature's Call, so you can bounce it. So if you have like a heavy rush deck with a bunch of Hunting Witches, you drop a bunch of creatures, drop key, you know, Chota, return it all back to your hand, redo it in the same turn. I've done that with a couple Dust Pixies and a Nature's Call. And the Chota feels real good. Uh, hysteria out of dis and then there's just a bunch of other bounce spells where you can just bring it back to your hand to replay it um the other the other advantages Chota has over it is it can't be targeted by mimicry from your opponent 
And then again, I, I guess I kind of covered it. It partners well with Full Moon, Hunting Witch, Flaxia decks. It just works better as a creature as opposed to an action. I think that's a great point. Um, and I, I do agree that Chota is a significant upgrade over Key Charge. But I think the my argument is more rooted in just like sort of the fundamental mechanics of a game of Key Forge. I feel like I'm getting key charging. Key <laughs> now, but. No, it's it's definitely so. It's an impactful card at the end of the game when you're trying to get that third key, and it feels real bad to lose against. And that's probably why it goes up in people's minds. That feel bad moment of your opponent, you know, getting to seven or the feel good <laughs> yes. moment, right? Yes. Like there, because cause there are those. There are definitely those games that you're basically you know dead on board because your opponent's going to win and you know, the only way you can squeak out is because you had this key charge at the perfect moment uh, and you're able to get the win. Uh, and that feels so good that, you know, you walk away from that game thinking, <laughs> yeah. like, this card is Bonkers. crazy. It single-handed, it single-handedly won right. me the game. Uh, or it single-handedly won my opponent the game. And I think there's, like, a little bit of sort of like, a, I don't know, cognitive dissonance. With the game ending one way or the other on a single card, it makes that card seem really good. But you've got to understand that's very situationally good. Uh, if you get this card in your opening hand, it is garbage. Like you're discarding it so fast. Or if you're not discarding it so fast, then you really should start be discarding it really fast. Um, <laughs> then check out my article on discarding. Yeah, right. Because um, it's just not doing anything for you. And I, like that's one of the kind of like skill gaps. Because I know when I first started playing, like I was super excited. Like Key Charge and Chota seemed amazing. And if you got a deck with both of them, oh, that's so busted. No, that's terrible. Like those are two situational cards that are only good when you're at a high amber cost. Any other time, they actually make you lose an amber if you play them. It's like Chota when you're not at seven is like the worst card in hand because you almost can't play him because you don't want to lose the amber. For every time that key charge wins you the game, you know, there are so many more moments when it's just a card in your hand that gets discarded or you play it to forge a key mid game. That's not your third key. And, you know, it might as well in some of those situations, like you don't know that your opponent could have stopped you. And in those situations, it's literally just saying pay one Amber. Pay an extra. Yeah. You know, which is not a very good which is not a very good card. Yeah. You know, you wouldn't be excited about a card that said, pay one yeah, amber. You're mooking yourself or grabber jammering yourself voluntarily. Exactly. And like a lot of those games, you know, you might go on to win or you might lose. And if you do lose, you're never thinking back like, huh, well, there was that moment on turn four when I had to discard uh, key charts. That's the reason I lost. But, you know, the reality is, you know, if that wasn't a key charge, if it was like a nature's call or maybe a creature or a lost in the woods or no, some lost in the woods, so good. card, <laughs> then, you know, maybe that game plays out differently. Um, so I guess that's my case is that there are very few times uh, that key charge is, you know, admittedly very, very good, but much more frequently, it's going to be something that's underwhelming. Uh, or or just downright bad in your deck, and and for me personally, I would much rather have that uh, fill that slot filled if I had my choice uh, with something that's almost always going to be impactful and and untamed as so many good cards. Yeah, 
No, nope, you know? I agree. I I've come around on the key charge train. Like I said, I think it's just one of those early cards that seems very powerful when you're new to the game because you're doing something when you're not supposed to. You're kind of breaking the rules of the game, but ultimately in the long run, yeah, it's it's a very it's a corner case great card, but most of the time it's just okay. The last point I'll make about this, uh, you know, in Magic and other games, there's sort of this concept of a win more card, <laughs> yep. uh, which is something that, you know, maybe it's like a big creature or giant powerful effect in Magic that you can only play at the end of the game once you've sort of saved up enough resources to get it out. But as thinking in Magic the Gathering circles has sort of progressed, a lot of times uh, as these decks are refined, they'll be reduced to a point where they kind of eliminate those big effects and powerful cards from the game because they realize if the game has lasted long enough to get to the point where they're able to play that card, uh, then they're probably going to win anyway. So that's like a classic case of win more. So. I think that's the final thing to consider about key charge is even if you play it at the end of the game to win, you know, in a non-zero amount of cases, you would just go on to win that game anyway. And if you're able to win on your turn, like, you know, you're probably already in a pretty strong advantaged position. So, you know, even in those moments that it feels great because you played it and win, probably a significant portion of those you go on to win the game anyway so you know did it really help you even in that situation yep yep so no we're hoping to like cover more of these types of cards and just situations and i think that's one of the biggest learning hurdles in the game is figuring out kind of some of these cards that seem really good but maybe aren't maybe they're more corner case than you actually realize or give them credit for and I mean, that's just, that's a lot of the skill of the game. That's a lot of the game that I've really enjoyed because as you keep playing and keep seeing cards, you start seeing cards a little differently than what you first thought they were. And we're going to hope to highlight more of those in the future so you can kind of take advantage of some of the things we've learned through our numerous, numerous games of Keyforge. Far too many. But <laughs> never, still never enough. enough. Yeah, <laughs> never enough. <laughs> All right. All right, great. Yeah. Um, well, that's it. Thank you all so much for uh, joining us on this episode of Sanctimonious. Uh, Dan, do you want to let them know where they can find you online? Yep, definitely. So I'm pretty much Dan is someone everywhere on the social medias. So it's D-A-N-I-S-S-O-N-E-1. Uh, and that's for Twitch. That's also for Twitter. And then on the Discord, we are both on the Keyforge Lounge server, and we will be starting our own keyforge server as well so you can talk directly with us over to you yeah you can find me online uh at jake freed that's j-a-k-e-f-r-y-d and that's my uh name on twitter um on the discord under that as well so thank you all so much and i hope you will check us out again next time yeah man get out there and forge those keys people